Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus back in on fixed income, and with the end of the year quickly approaching, we will reflect on performance across the asset class in 2021 and the factors that drove it. Uh, joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Leslie, welcome back. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. So, Leslie, I know you recently published the final fixed income strategist publication of 2021. It's hard to believe, though, here we are. And within, you do spend some time reflecting on the volatility we witnessed in rates this past year, as well as return drivers. So, of course, we'll dive a bit deeper into a performance recap in a few moments. Though, maybe to set the stage, Leslie, can you remind us of what exactly drove the volatility in rates, and for how much longer do you anticipate that volatile conditions will persist? Well, Daniel, as, as we talk about, you know, that that this is a, the last fixed income strategist of 2021, I mean, it's hard to believe how quickly time has flown this year, but also when we think about where 10-year yields actually started the year, and I, and I think a lot of people have a tendency to be concerned about what rates are going to do over the next three to six months, but we have a tendency to forget that they started the year around 90 basis points. And when you think about where we had gotten in the first quarter, that 177, you almost doubled, right, in a very short period of time. And our expectation is that interest rates will rise to the end of the year, so you could end up doubling in rates. So that kind of volatility that you see, and obviously this is from a very low base, is is not the norm, right? Like, so if we end this year at 1.8, it's not as though we think the end of 2022, you're going to be, you know, a 3.6. So I, I think that one of the one of the contributors to this volatility is obviously a lot of the cloudiness that we've seen because of the COVID data and actually just the uncertainty going forward, particularly as it relates to transitory inflation. You know, this has not been a, a siloed instance to the U.S., but it's been global. And we've had a lot of, you know, central banks sort of slightly taking their foot off the pedal. I mean, some more than others. We've had, you know, uh, different regions deal with the inflation concerns, some a bit more aggressively, such as ZM, you know, the the. The U.S. has a, has a the ability to uh, take a little bit different approach because of the growth that it has behind it. So a lot of this volatility that we've seen is just simply because just this unknown and whether or not the Fed can sort of orchestrate. I'm going to use the terminology soft landing. So what we've seen is that we have this this move in terms of not just interest rate volatility, but actually but actually curve volatility. And one of the one of the biggest issues or one of the concerns going forward is not just when the Fed hikes, but the velocity by which it hikes. And right now we have the market pricing in two rate hikes in 2022, starting in July, and then another three in 2023 for a total of five by the end of 2023. So this has caught, you know the market a bit off guard than what they anticipated in the beginning. It's caused a little volatility within the shape of the curve and interest rates in and of itself. So, Leslie, it's interesting, as I was reading through the fizz, you cite that rate volatility, you characterized it as flashing red, yet you look at spread volatility within risk assets. That was much calmer. How do you explain these diverging paths, so to speak, Leslie? Well, it's, it's interesting. We, you know, when we look at a total return, 
right? You look at a total return of an asset class, whether you're a treasury or a tip or a senior loan, and you look at that sort of that total return and that absolute number, it's 5%, it's 4%, but you really need to look at what's driving that return and also what you really, what you went through to get there. In other words, that we all know that the equity market has reached these highs. We've had an incredible amount of accommodation. So spreads have been coming in, right? But obviously, we've had this headwind of interest rates rising. That's the number, one, the number one headwind. The number two headwind, we've also had a lot of vol- intraday volatility with the level of rates going to, you know, 112 in July, then back up. Then, you know, two weeks ago, you know, we were, went from a 17 to a 1.4, then back to a 17 again. So we've had a lot of volatility in terms of interest rates and the shape of the curve. So we all know that, that the spread and the, and the actual fundamentals are strong. You know, low defaults, high recoveries, the credit market's doing well, the equity market's doing well. Oil has obviously been, you know, pretty much out of terror the past couple of months. But when you think about your return and the volatility, you have to look at the return and what we call sort of like that, the the risk-adjusted return. And that risk-adjusted return takes a look at the return of an asset class and the volatility you might have experienced over the year. And at the end of the day, when you look at what your return has been over the year or six years or seven years, you have to decide in terms of when you, you know, allocate whether or not the volatility that you have undergone is worth the return that you earned. And when you look at different sectors, you might find that some sectors that you wouldn't ever think of are close to or similar that of the return you're, you're earning in asset class A, but with a lot less volatility. So when we think about sort of, you know, going forward, now, we do think that the volatility in rates is going to last a little bit longer, and this is simply because you just have this huge unknown regarding the transitory inflation. This is not something that's going to be cured January 1 of 22. It's most likely going to last until mid-year. And with that unknown and with the rhetoric of is the Fed going to go in, in, in 22, are they, are they going to speed up the taper? Are they going to go by 50 basis points? Are they behind the curve? All these kinds of questions, you're going to have the sort of what the market is saying, what economists are saying, and what strategists are saying, and they're all going to have a voice. So therefore, you're going to, the volatility that we've seen or, or expect to see in the first half is going to continue, maybe not by the same magnitude, but it's still going to be there. So when you think about how you sort of allocate, you know, interest rates are going to rise. We still think we're going to have a rise in rates. I still think we see a 2% in, in the first part of 22, the first half of 22. But you need to also take a look at what kind of volatility you want to experience or what you're undertaking to get that return. Okay, so with that backdrop now in mind and we have a much better sense for the volatility dynamics, maybe we can dive a bit deeper into performance return drivers. Generally speaking, Leslie, how did 2021 measure up relative to your expectations heading into the year? Well, the volatility that we've seen has been pretty fairly large. And, you know, I think that obviously what happened in the first quarter, and again, I, and I say this, we forget, we started the year at 90, around 90 basis points, and we went close to 180, uh, almost doubled within the first three months of the year. So that obviously was a little bit more than what we anticipated. With that said, given the fact that our preference has been for senior loans and that has been our heaviest weighting within the fixed income universe, and we came into the year with that weighting, and the expectation of the outperformance, it has done, it is expect, it is performed as we expected, it is outperformed. However, not only is it outperformed, but to our conversation in the previous question, Dan, is that when we look at that risk-adjusted return, because volatility has been so great this year, and because senior loans are a floating rate asset, a lot of that headwind of interest rate volatility, curve shifts, and everything that we've seen 
the senior loans have been a bit protected from that. So on a risk adjust, not only an absolute return basis as they've done, have they done well, but on a risk adjusted return basis, senior loans for the taxable universe are the highest returning sector. And we expected the sector to do well in return, but a risk adjusted return is, is even just even more gravy for that sector. And what we don't, what we're not going to do and what we don't think we we're not doing right now because we do still think credit fundamentals are strong. We still think interest rates rise. And again, we're expecting volatility through at least the first part of 2022. We're going to keep that waiting. Even though the sector's done well, we want to keep that waiting. One of the things that we did not expect, at least I didn't expect, how negative real yields has gotten. You know, we came into the year where we were, where we had gotten long tips in 21, or excuse me, 20, in the 2020, the sector had done very well. We had, you know, we went back to neutral a little early on. Obviously, the sector's done, it has continued to even do greater than what we anticipated because we didn't expect real yields to continuously move more negative. And the driver of that has not just been inflation expectations rising, it's also been nominal yields staying fairly stagnant. Right, staying around one five, one six, and we just don't think going forward that if inflation expectations continue, nominal yields remain this low; they'll move up. So, therefore, real yields should be less negative. But that's been the one sort of variable um, going into the year that we did not expect that that real yields will continue to be negative, 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 given the fact that. Although we passed peak growth in the second quarter, we still have very strong growth, well above average growth, you know, in 21 and, and into 22. So, Leslie, with roughly six or seven weeks left in the year as we begin to close out, what are your allocation preferences within the asset class at this time? Has anything changed? You know, the only thing, listen, we, we remain neutral on tips. And, you know, it's one of those sectors where I do think that real yields are negative, uh, but we're going to remain, remain neutral on it because right now um, it's the trend that we're seeing is something that you just step aside, you want to observe. And that's what we're doing for now. I do think that the S sector has, is a little bit on the rich side, but we're still neutral. We still have the preferred in senior loans. We've, we've had that on for a while. But again, this, this, those S sectors and the inflow to that sector from retail has been tremendous this year. And we think it continues because tips are a little on the rich side. The floating rate asset is, is a great sort of counter, if you will, to rising rates, particularly if inflation lasts a little bit longer than we're expecting. Um, so we still have that. We still have that as preferred, even though the yes, sector's done well. We're going to keep that. The other one is is on the CMBS side, just simply because the the commercial real estate, besides um, being a performing well, inflation is is in the environment, but also too we do expect the reengaging and reemerging to continue. So therefore, we like the commercial the, the CMBS side. I wouldn't call it cheap by any stretch. But when you look at the sectors around it, such as investment-grade corporates, it's cheaper. Well, Leslie, very insightful as always. Thank you for recapping what was an interesting year in fixed income markets and sharing with us how we got to where we are today, providing a bit of an outlook with respect to rates. Thank you again, as always, Leslie, and we'll look forward to picking back up the conversation again with you soon. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Leslie. And again, today we've been joined by Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, that includes the publication which Leslie has been making reference to during our conversation today, the November installment of the monthly Fixed Income Strategist publication 
Commission, a title is diverging paths. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.